0: Hey guys, welcome back to Cup of Goals with Us and I. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm doing all right. Fantastic.
1: I got a dog on me.
0: Same. So. I also have a dog on me. It's a different dog.
1: That thing looks pretty good. I'm not bragging, but things aren't bad.
0: Yeah. So I have a news story this week. Ooh. I know I normally don't. But when oh. I saw it pop up, I was like, I'm going to save this link. And I'm going to talk about it. Let's hear it. Police went to arrest a serial killer and found a ninth victim still alive tied to his bed. Wow. Yeah. Bruce MacArthur has pled guilty to killing eight men he met in Toronto's gay community. This is from BuzzFeed News. So it's the section of BuzzFeed that hasn't been shut down yet. No by julia reinstein on february 6th canadian serial killer bruce MacArthur, 67 pled guilty last week or pleaded i guess is the right way guilty last week to murdering eight men in toronto and is now awaiting sentencing sentencing MacArthur, who worked as an independent landscaper hid his victims remains in large planters on a property he used for storage he was arrested after a string of deaths and disappearances from a gay, Toronto's gay village which left residents frightened and that police were not taking enough action against someone they thought was targeting the community. So, it doesn't matter who the people, I mean it does matter don't get me wrong, but that's not the point of the story. The story is that MacArthur was arrested during an encounter with someone who was intended to be his ninth victim man identified only as John went to MacArthur's home on January 18th, 2018 where he was handcuffed to the bed, had a black bag placed over his head and
1: Wait, this was last year?
0: Well is- that's the year that it says but the story is from 2019. Yeah. The story is from a couple days ago on at 4 57 p.m.
1: Well it is BuzzFeed. <sighs>
0: Right. they told me that I was going to have an impeached president here in a couple days (laughs) so anyway the guy got the guy literally got he got arrested like with this dude tied to his bed with a bag over his head yeah
1: So, so that might have just been like a sex game
0: well, he got arrested. Up to his he murder. got arrested in twenty eighteen, but he got sentenced in twenty nineteen, which is why it was oh. on the news. Oh, okay. So that's why. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, that's my news story.
1: I have I have some potential news, kind of like gossip. So uh, this boss logic guy, people know him from Twitter. He does like amazing digital art. Okay. And he does a lot of like nerdy art. He did this series of of Mortal Kombat movie posters depicting Hollywood stars as Mortal Kombat characters and it looks really good. So with like Terry Crews as Jax and Keanu Reeves as Kenshi and stuff like that. Gal Gadot as Katana, I think. Okay. Anyway. So he's kinda gotten some he's gotten famous kind of recently, I think, for that. So recently he did a Batman poster mock-up.
0: With who is Batman?
1: Well, he, according to, to his tweet, he's heard he, he's heard some rumors that none of the people he thought was going to be Batman in the Matt Reeves, Batman upcoming Matt Reeves movie, which Ben Affleck has officially stepped down now. He's not going to be Batman anymore in the DC universe because everything over there is just bad and wrong. And they don't know uh, how to do anything it sounds good. good, but okay. So because of this rumor, because of what he's hearing, he depicted Robert Pattinson as Batman, so thanks again everyone for having terrible taste and putting people like Robert Pattinson in the role of Batman which I don't have anything against the dude himself that is not a Batman though, everybody complained about Ben Affleck, I was one of the minority who was like, Ben Affleck is perfect for Bruce Wayne have you ever read a Batman comic for instance you might notice he is perfect for Bruce Wayne so instead, they're eyeballing Robert Pattinson, which I think is akin to casting somebody like, say, Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. You know, it's just gross and wrong. Who would do that? Right?
0: That is really fucking gross. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they have that. And then I just wanted to share something about myself because I found it kind of amusing. Okay. So as, as someone who... Grew up in the 80s and and 90s. I love the Ninja Turtles. I think I've I've spoken about the Ninja Turtles and Krang. Krang. <laughs> I speak about Krang sometimes. And I so I was 14 years old when the second Ninja Turtle movie came out in theaters and I got to go see it. This was after Dick Tracy. So I, went, I didn't go. My mom didn't take me. I don't know if she knew I went, but somebody. Uh, like a kid from school, his mom like, took us to the movie theater to see it. And so, and it was, I don't know if it was opening weekend or whatever. It probably was pretty close because I was very excited. Even though that was kind of when I was, my interest in Ninja Turtles was winding down as I was getting older and stuff. But I still love the the first movie, which had just come out the year before. Second movie comes out. I'm 14 years old. I fucking hated it. I was 14. I was like, this is fucking terrible. This is shit for five-year-olds. This was 28 years ago. So I, I just thought it was funny because I just want to let everybody know I have been a particular and picky and judgmental asshole for a very long time. It's yeah. not recent. I'm, I know. <laughs> why do you know?
0: Because I've known you for 18 years. Yeah. And you've always been a picky and but judgmental even asshole. Even
1: as a young teenager who had limited access to the things I enjoyed, I was still <laughs> like, this is garbage. Why would you do this? And so anyway, so that that was the first and last time I saw that movie until this weekend and I watched it with Mason and it's worse than I remember. Vanilla mm-hmm. Ice is in that movie. I think I had chosen to forget that. No, he you didn't sh- he shows you up at the end the
0: other day he was in it. OK, but he's in it for it. a lot
1: longer. Like you hear a whole song. He's dancing. They the ninja turtles dance. I don't remember a lot of this because I saw it one time Is that
0: the secrets of the ooze? Yeah. Well, oh yeah, it's real bad.
1: That's where they they rarely, very rarely fight with their weapons. Maybe once or twice do you see them use weapons? I so they watched use like sausages it. and and things around them.
0: I, I remember I remember seeing it. And I saw it on video at a sleepover at Lauren's house.
1: Shout out, Lauren, whoever you are.
0: I haven't talked to Lauren since like fifth grade, (laughs) but I saw. I'm sure she's listening. I'm sure she's not. (laughs) And I've seen our numbers. The majority of our listeners aren't even in our state anymore.
1: Yeah. California is booming. Yeah. And Maryland all of a sudden, too. Right. Like all these other states. Shout out California, Maryland. Like, hey, guys.
0: So unless she lives in California, in that case, maybe she's listening. So. So this chick lauren she rented it her dad was really cool and he was like hey you know you guys would like this yeah movie and we watched it and we were all like this is the worst movie we've ever seen we're like fifth graders wow. fifth grade girls and we're like this is terrible yeah i don't know who the intended audience was
1: five-year-olds it had to be five it, because but it, it wasn't us so even as a 14 year old white kid with limited access to cool things i was also I also hated Vanilla Ice at the time, which was rare because he was, you know, at peak popularity, I'm guessing. Yeah. And so the, at the time, I was very angry to see Vanilla Ice in this movie as well. I, and I do remember kids from my school singing Ice Ice Baby at me. And don't get me wrong. I, did, I didn't have, like, good music taste. I was into hair metal. But I was your just last starting was to was
0: Isley. In. So people called you Ice, didn't they?
1: Yes, which so I liked.
0: People singing Ice Ice Baby at you is not the worst thing in the world.
1: It, it is. It's bad. That's a terrible song. Okay. Stop collaborate and listen yeah collaborate who are you collaborating with <laughs> you're gonna collaborate to listen that's first from the all, get-go it's idiotic. first of
0: all we don't have any race to that song so stop <laughs> singing
1: that's all right he just stole the music from queen and then pretended he didn't so fuck you vanilla ice for ruining rap music for white people for years <laughs> until eminem thanks a lot what was that other white band third third base was that a was that a thing i think they were around
0: are you talking about Ace of Base?
1: No, no, it was like a white rap group. You're talking
0: about Snow?
1: No, third base. I'm pretty sure was a thing. I might be making that up.
0: Third base. Third like bass. Sex.
1: That, that might have run? been the reference, but it might have also been been spelled like B A S S. I don't know. I don't. I vaguely remember hearing it. it. Just popped in my head just now, so I'm just kind of working through the memory.
0: Made up as fuck. Hold on. I'm a,
1: <laughs> it very well I'm may a be. Look
0: <laughs> third base.
1: I, I don't know if, if if it's actually a thing.
0: It's an American hip hop group. Ding ding ding!
1: And what what was what, these people, what do these people these fellows is look like?
0: One person of color and two white dudes. Yeah,
1: so I, I nobody really They n- were
0: on Def Jam and Columbia Records.
1: I don't actually know their music at all. I don't know why they popped in my head.
0: They anyway, up. Vanilla
1: Ice was fucking terrible. He was in this movie and it just kind of cemented. My thoughts and feelings at the time, which was this is this is just utter shit. This is fucking terrible. And it really is. That movie doesn't hold up well at all. It was the last Ninja Turtle movie they made with the Jim Henson suits. In the third movie, they had this other company and the suits looked weird. And I remember that because they weren't the Jim Henson suits. And they all looked Uh. like they had uh, they had those liver spots on them. (laughs) It was really bad. Uh, <laughs> like liver spot and teenage teenage turtles. <laughs>
0: teenage ninja scarred turtles stop taking care of their skin. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was good sunspots
0: from being outside.
1: But no, I just wanted to like, share with listeners like, you know, they they probably think like, wow, you're a fucking asshole. You just hate everything. And it's like, you know, I've been hating everything for a very long time. I've been very consistent with that. I've
0: always hated everything.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> always. But no, I just hate when people take something so fundamentally great as, as in the first Ninja Turtles movie, which is perfect. It's just a perfect film. I
0: can get it back. I can get it back.
1: <laughs> your favorite line. Yeah. What's your other line? There's another Pizza one. Pizza
0: Dude's got 30 seconds.
1: <laughs> anyway, you go from a perfect movie to this quick rush job. Because, because the first movie was such an unexpected hit for some reason. Even though Ninja Turtles themselves <laughs> were a huge hit. They, it was so unexpected that they rushed to get this movie out. A year later. A year later, they had this movie. Like, literally, they... Wrote, made, produced, cat, everything in less than a year. They got this movie out, edited.
0: And then Lauren's dad is like, Hey, you girls want to watch this movie? And we're like, Of course, I want to watch this movie. And then it's turtles, of course. And we're all like, This is this is bad. It was. I remember the opening, the opening of it. And then we were like, Yeah, this is going to be good. And then we're all like, This is. This is not good. <laughs> this is that whatever the opposite of good is. This is bad, I guess, bad. would be the word.
1: It was indeed bad. But no, like I said, and I wasn't some bastion of taste back then. I was I was transitioning finally into good music. I, I was kind of like knives chow and Scott Pilgrim. I was like, I didn't know there was good music until like two <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> I was listening to Poison and and uh, Def Leppard and Bon Jovi and Motley Crue. But I around that time though, I I it was when I first heard Pantera. I remember that distinctly too, because there was actually a radio station out of Kent that would actually play metal. But anyway, that's all I had. So let's
0: housekeeping. Let's do our what's housekeeping
1: next? and get to it.
0: All right, housekeeping. What's all right, your segment. We
1: have a Patreon. You can support the show directly for as little as a dollar a month. If you're enjoying the show, it would be great. If you just go to our Patreon. What's the address?
0: You can go to Podcast dot com and click support up at the top. Or you can go to Patreon.com slash Couple Goals Podcast. That gets you there directly.
1: Also, you can follow us, like us, whatever, on Instagram. Ev-
0: everywhere we are Couple Goals Podcast. Except Facebook, on, YouTube. Yeah. Like on Twitter, we're Couple Goals Pod. But all that is is a stream from our website. So it'll show you when we post a new episode.
1: Our Instagram is kind of fun. If you want to uh, add us to your Instagram feed.
0: Yeah, Sean posts stuff there. Yeah. Like memes and pictures of like whatever we're talking about. And then
1: And as always, subscribe on your podcast app, leave a review.
0: Yeah, reviews that's always helpful. Reviews help us stay relevant. That's yeah. all that reviews helps, really help us.
1: It helps with like search engine optimization, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, look at Sean. What? Look at you with your SEO talk. Good yes, job.
1: That's okay. Yeah.
0: I mean, <laughs> she was like, that's intentional.
1: <laughs> that was not intentional. I
0: am an industry professional, he said.
1: <laughs> I am a professional something.
0: All right. So that's all everything for housekeeping. Yes. Do you want to go first or you want me to go first? You can go first. Okay. Because, good.
1: Okay. <laughs> because
0: here's a thing that happened. So, uh, the, uh, I didn't have a topic for this week. As of yesterday, as of yesterday, I was still like, oh, I'd had like a couple topics that I eventually wanted to do, but I didn't have a topic yet. And then yesterday. Sean's like. Did you know that Mike Pence loves Garfield? Remember?
1: Yeah. And for those of you who might not know, Mike Pence is the current vice president of the United States.
0: Oh, for people not listening, not in Ohio, not in, you know, not in Ohio. <laughs> well, I don't. What is the government? So, not in the United States. That is our current vice president.
1: He hates gay people.
0: He doesn't like gay people. So,
1: or Mondays.
0: <laughs> or Mondays, and he loves lasagna. Yeah. So, he he loves he loves Garfield. His office is decorated in Garfield when he was the governor the vice president yes this office is, this is the vice president of the Center, united
1: something States. something from twitter somebody put together it was a bunch of photos from his office of all this signed garfield memorabilia signed by the creator jim davis with personal messages to mike pence garfield stuff everywhere and people might be thinking like well sean you collect stupid shit and i do collect stupid shit but come on garfield this that's, that's just so weird. This fucking juvenile. sent me
0: down a rabbit hole.
1: That'd be like if I collected Care Bears. So or something.
0: we're talking about Garfield.
1: Yay! I do like Garfield. I'm not gonna lie. Well, this sent me my down a fucking doesn't mean I don't like. It. I don't know. I, 80s was a very big time for Garfield.
0: So this sent me down a fucking rabbit hole on Garfield and Jim Davis. Yeah. Because Garfield he's a
1: murderer, isn't he? That's where this is going. Jim Davis is a murderer, unconvicted.
0: It's actually. a odie
1: uh, odie <laughs> odie's, <laughs> so, a, I, odie's my favorite i used to love to we're not even odie. talking about
0: odie odie gets his own episode another day <laughs> so jim davis was born july 28th 1945 in marion indiana this is why mike pence uh, mike Penn's pence was mike pence was the governor of indiana before he became the vice president
1: so he's very proud
0: he was raised on a small farm with his parents james and betty davis And his younger brother, Dave, who goes by Doc. And like most farms, he had a barnyard with 25 cats.
1: Oh, that's... Huh. That also explains his other comic, U.S. Acres, or whatever it was called.
0: Yeah, he did have another comic, which I don't even go into that comic. But as a child, he had asthma and was bedridden because back in the day they were just like oh you got ghosts in your blood
1: <laughs> like yeah you have some cocaine about it right
0: have some cocaine about it ghosts like we don't know what you're doing so they didn't have inhalers so they were just like oh you can't breathe you lay down on your mm-hmm. back so that your lungs are constricted and you can't fucking <laughs> like they didn't understand anything about right. bronchial tubes apparently yeah. so they forced. It. he was always inside and of course Living on a farm with asthma is way worse. Oh,
1: I bet. Because yeah. that's just it's such an irritant. everywhere. So. And they're probably like, let's open these windows.
0: Right. We'll get you some fresh air. <laughs> and he's like, it's fine. So he was always inside and drawing pictures because they didn't have a TV because it was like the 40s. Right. And he. If was, they
1: had a TV, I mean, there'd been like one show, right? Right. If they had <laughs> TV, had it was just
0: like you know.
1: Would it have had glass, a tube in it? Would you just make a puppet show out of it? What do you do with a TV? I don't know. I
0: feel like you were just listening to the fucking radio anyway, yes. and it was all like one guy making all the noises, and he was all like, it's "The How to Do the Hour." I don't know. I don't know anything about radio. <laughs> so I say into my mic. <laughs> <laughs> right. But obviously, radio work? like so. Davis's childhood on the farm is parallel to John Arbuckle's childhood. Okay. John Arbuckle, apparently this is covered in early Garfield.
1: Oh, well, of course. I'm. This is canon. Right, this is. <laughs> Garfield so, canon, who knew?
0: John Arbuckle was raised on a farm. He okay. has a brother named Doc Boy. Mm-hmm. John works as a cartoonist. I didn't know that. I I don't think
1: I ever knew what John did.
0: Me neither. I thought he just... If I did, I forgot. I thought he stood in his kitchen all day.
1: Right. And fed And then he would just leave at random.
0: And he would sometimes go to the vet and then, like, fucking force (laughs) himself on the vet. Like, that was all I thought.
1: Force himself on the vet. So,
0: his birthday is also July 28th. Convenient. Right. Easy to remember. Anyway, so Davis attended Ball State University. He studied art and he studied business. And while he was at Bar Ball State, he was in a fraternity, which doesn't surprise me at all. So a little bit more about Davis, and then we'll go into Garfield. Davis was married twice, or has been married twice, he's still alive. His first wife was Carolyn, who was allergic to cats. Hmm. Right. And going from twenty-five to zero cats, quite a quite a shot. <laughs> But they had a dog. Her name was Molly. And then they had one son. On then they got divorced. Right. And then on July 16th, 2000. Davis married his current wife, Jill. And then they had two more children, which means his children are the same age as our children, even though he is 30 years older than you. The dude is 73.
1: Wow. But okay, Men can just keep popping out, kids. Yeah. It's really it's weird. It's fine.
0: It, the whole thing's fine. It's
1: gross. So
0: he's, he currently works, I mean, in addition to owning Paws Inc. and all that stuff that we'll talk about in one second, he works as a adjunct professor in Muncie, Indiana, at Ball State University, his, his uh, alum. So anyway, he resides in Albany, Indiana, where he and his staff continue to produce Garfield under Paws Inc., which launched launched in 1981. Paws Inc. employs 50 artists and licensing administrators who work with agents around the world managing Garfield's licensing, syndication, and entertainment. Cool. All right, so let's talk about Garfield. So the way it worked with Davis is after studying business at Ball State, he worked as an assistant for Tom K. Ryan, who is a cartoonist who drew... The tumbleweeds comic strip, which I don't know because I wasn't even alive at this point. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that one. So this is actually back in the late sixties. Okay. Okay. So Davis's first comic strip was called Norm Nat, and which is obviously with G's Norm Nat, and it ran for a local year, a, a few years, but only locally in Indiana. But nobody wanted a fucking bug.
1: M- right. It doesn't main make character. for a cuddly mascot. Which is
0: weird because a bug story what's it called bug's life bug's life such a good movie (laughs) but nobody wanted that shit and everyone was like okay like stop but he when they shut it down he noticed there were a ton of successful strips about dogs but none about cats
1: Mm. so tap market
0: davis makes no attempt to conceal the crass commercial motivations behind the creation of garfield
1: yeah you know that
0: he carefully studied the marketplace when developing Garfield. The genesis of the strip well, it's was probably because
1: he was like, "Man, I'm going to bust out with this uh, Nat character. And then he was like, turns out people don't like Nats. Maybe I should look <laughs> into what people like. I love Nats.
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. however, I grew up on a farm.
1: Right. I was I just always love Nats. I'm I was the-
0: always fucking surrounded by flies. I didn't know <laughs> other
1: people were right. I wasn't allergic to gnats. I loved them. They didn't make it. It was my one of the only go. thing
0: it was one of the only things I could have around me during my asthma attacks were these gnats.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, so He he should have studied the marketplace. That's good. Makes sense. The genesis of the <laughs> message, was. I'm just trying to think of other especially when you think about the time period. Like nowadays you could have like anything be successful. I mean, we have a talking turd from South Park.
0: Right. You have Mr. Hinky.
1: Yeah. So but back then. You know, you you probably couldn't do, you know, a lot harder to break in to the marketplace. Yeah. with Like, oh, what do you got for us? I got uh, I got Mary the maggot. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be a big seller. And uh, Mary the and Mary the maggot
0: is in a relationship with Norm the (laughs) gnat. Yeah, I really like alliteration. People are like, yeah, no. (laughs) So. The whole thing was, quote, a conscious effort to come up with a good, marketable character, Davis told Walter Shapiro in a 1982 interview with The Washington Post. Quote, a primary, primarily an animal. Snoopy was a very popular in licensing, but Charlie Brown is not. So Davis looked around and noticed that dogs were popular in the funny papers, but yep. there wasn't a strip for the nation's 15 million cat owners. So he consciously developed a stable, recurring, repetitive jokes for the cat. He hates Mondays, he loves lasagna, lasagna and he's
1: fat. Why, why does a cat hate Mondays? <laughs> like, it just it, Does he ever give a reason for that other than to just give him a characteristic that people would identify with? That. It a, makes him marketable. Okay. I hate Mondays, too. Just like, like that cat who can't tell what day it is.
0: Like that cat who doesn't actually have any fucking... <laughs> any obli- like he doesn't have obligations so the model for garfield was charles schultz's peanuts but not the funny peanuts of the stri- the strips early years but davis wanted the the, the sunny humorless monotony of the peanut peanuts violet years <laughs> so after this is a quote after 50 years snoopy was still laying on that doghouse and rather than getting old it was actually the opposite effect, Davis told the Chicago Sun-Times during a press blitz for Garfield's 25th anniversary. It turns out the Peanuts creator, though, Charles Schultz, actually hated Garfield.
1: Hated Garfield? Yeah. That's funny.
0: So this is from Cura, because someone was like, uh, there was a question on Cura that, that people were like, I don't get Garfield. Like, I don't think it's question funny. Question on what? Cura. Have you ever been on there? Oh,
1: I thought it was just Cora.
0: Oh, is that how you say it?
1: Yeah, I just thought it was Quora.
0: Oh, maybe. You never
1: pronounce a U after a Q, really.
0: Qu- question. Qu- question.
1: So, See, and then, like then Quarry. Kiana.
0: Quar- Quarry.
1: Query. Query. Well, Query. A oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Quora. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> might be Quora. I just know. called it Quora.
0: I don't know. No one says fucking website how names out loud. I don't know Q-ara. how it...
1: That's what you were... That's why I was like, I don't know what you are... Who, 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 I don't know what that is either. What'd you call it, Henry? <laughs> What'd
0: you call it? We call Henry Blow. So, if you know what movie that's from, you are our people. So, about 25 years ago, I met a woman who worked for United Feature Syndicate. Are you looking up how to pronounce it? Yeah. Because you are rapidly typing instead of listening to this podcast. I, I am
1: listening.
0: I want to do that during yours and watch... When I you're gonna
1: love mine. So when I, don't I think type so. on
0: my phone during Sean's segments, he literally will hit my phone uh, out of my hand.
1: I don't know. Yeah, you pronounce a Q U in a lot of things. Quick. Yeah. <laughs> Question.
0: But I'm not allowed to pronounce Quorum. the Q-U. So Quora. When I right. pronounce a Q U, you make fun of me on a podcast well, with thousands. Well, you, of listeners.
1: you say Q-ara, though.
0: Yeah, I don't know how to say yeah, it.
1: Yeah, that, that that threw me off.
0: I don't. Like I you don't, were
1: pronouncing the U as. as In a very different way.
0: (laughs) I don't know how to pronounce
1: pronounce it. Pronounce it like a W. Maybe. Yes. So anyway. Yeah.
0: 25 years ago, I met a woman who worked at United Feature Syndicate. UFS represented Peanuts as well as Garfield and countless other cartoons.
1: But like quartet. You don't say quartet.
0: (laughs) We got to talking and she told me a story about her early year or her early days with the syndicate. She was hired to work on Peanuts, business, licensing, and merchandising. And one of her first assignments was to fly out to Santa Rosa, California, where Charles Schultz lived, stay in, stay in his house for a week and establish a good relationship. After a couple of days, she was distraught because Schultz didn't warm up to her. She thought she might lose her job. She was trying harder to, to make him like her. And finally, after another day or so, she, he casually asked her, what percentage of your time is devoted to the Peanuts property? She said, 100 percent. I was hired to only work on Peanuts. And then she could finally see the ice cracking. And he gave her a relieved look. And he said, oh, good, because I think that cat is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of the week, he had warmed to a, her. That's
1: will create creator jealousy, though. And they had, and they had I mean? a
0: trusting business relationship. That's yeah, what
1: that sounds like. He was very, huh. Yeah. And like somebody angling in on his marketplace.
0: So by the end of the week, they had warmed; They were friends, whatever. The other when you're also thinking about Garfield, you can't ignore Garfield minus Garfield. So that's Uh, that's from Dan Walsh. And he Garfield minus Garfield is a is a site dedicated to removing Garfield from the Garfield comic strips in order to reveal the existential angst of John Arbuckle a journey deep into the mind of an isolated young everyman as he fights a losing battle against loneliness and depression in a quiet american <laughs> suburb. Right. That's that's literally from Garfield minus Garfield's yeah.
1: site. I remember when when I first saw those it's very funny.
0: And it's not updated anymore, but the website's still up. But bringing this whole thing back around to Mike Pence. And obviously Mike <laughs> Pence's whole thing with Garfield is the closeness to Indiana. Yeah. And when I was researching it, I found out, like, Jim Davis is clearly, clearly a Republican. Yeah. Like, clearly. And he he hands out Halloween candy with Mike Pence, like, they're friends. Mm. That's why he has all that signed shit. Yeah. So when I was looking into it, Miles Klee, who is an author or journalist, I should say, he argued on MelMagazine.com, which I'm going to link actually in the show notes because it's a really great article. Yeah. But he, ar- he argues that Mike Pence's love of Garfield just proves how much better Heathcliff is as a cartoon cat. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, I agree because I love Garfield and I love Garfield's Halloween special is my favorite Halloween special of all time. Yes, it is.
1: I love it. I watch it. That's why I bought I've, it for you on Amazon Prime. <laughs> and I've
0: watched it. I watched it multiple times in 2018. Like <laughs> I love it. But I love Heathcliff. I could still sing the song. The
1: Heathcliff show was way better. Yes. And I had Heathcliff books too, and I yeah I, they I did They were too. funnier. I I like the actual look of Garfield better though.
0: No, Garfield's illustration is way better. Yeah. But the stories yeah were better in Heathcliff. Yes. By far. Like, I re- I could still sing the, the Heathcliff scene. It's theme going song. in my head right now. Yep. You remember Riff Raff and Mungo? Yeah, Mungo. And, 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 yep. and the little, was it, which one was it? Was it Heath, was it Riff Raff who had the headphones? Like, it was so good. That was such a good show. <laughs> but there is, a when I link the article, you can find this woman. Her name's Brandy Brown. She tweets under, it's the Brandy. Like Brandy with just an eye. Yep. And she has a great quote in the article. And she says, no one hates Garfield. I don't even hate Garfield. Right. But honestly, I can't think of anyone more likable from Indiana than Garfield. And one of my best friends is from Indiana. <laughs> Garfield is never going to get himself canceled. It's it's very easy to hit your harmful, dangerous self to that. Talking yeah. about Mike Pence. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But there's some crazy right wing shit in the, early car, in the early strips. Yeah. Like with John forcing himself on Liz, who later becomes his girlfriend, like, you know, talking about how if you can't, if you can't persuade him, confuse him. And then he like kisses her out of nowhere. And she's like, what? No. After she turns him down for dates. You know, it's like that's like in the late 70s stuff. So there is some some stuff that now you'd be like, that would never fly.
1: I can't believe you didn't touch on the fact that Lorenzo Music voiced Garfield in the cartoon. And oh. he also voiced Peter Venkman, who was a Bill Murray character. That has In been... Ghostbusters. And then Bill Murray went on to voice Garfield in the movies.
0: That's been touched on elsewhere. We've talked about
1: well, that. Well, I'm the first person who noticed that. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I noticed it right when the Garfield movie came out. <laughs> I was that like, that wait was a minute, Bill Murray on... is doing that?
0: That was touched on elsewhere. Like I literally saw that in a movie.
1: Yeah, but I I thought of it when the Garfield movie first came out. I thought of that.
0: Someone literally said it in a movie, movie didn't yeah, they? Okay. The but, Lorenzo uh, music and.
1: Yeah, probably. But my point is, I thought of it before that. I, apparently, you don't believe me, but I really did because I don't know if you know this. Well, but I love Ghostbusters, okay. so I I knew I knew the voice cast. I I knew actually I didn't know Lorenzo Music's name. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't know his name at the time. But I immediately was like Lorenzo
0: Music also voiced Ruggles ice cream commercials.
1: Okay. Anyway, he when I heard Garfield's voice, I was like, Oh, that's the guy that does Peter Vancouver. So when I found out Bill Murray was playing Garfield, I was like, I don't I don't know. If, if I was like, this isn't irony, but it's something. <laughs> it's yeah. just weird. It's that, fitting. Yeah, so Bill Murray is gonna voice this cat that was voiced by the cartoon act. It was it was weird.
0: No, it's fitting, but yeah, it's Heathcliff's definitely better than Garfield. Mike Pence is a fucking creep. And (laughs) I don't like him.
1: You had a Garfield phone, though.
0: I did have the Garfield phone. I had. I liked Garfield. They didn't make Heathcliff phones.
1: I would have one. (laughs) Yeah, Heathcliff didn't get the merchandising love.
0: No, because Jim Davis got into it with the intent of merchandising his thing. So that's why there was so much. I had the Garfield. There's nothing
1: wrong with that. I, I don't think there's anything like that that's your intention and then you you succeed almost right out of the gate like good job
0: dude i there's nothing wrong with that that's just good business sense
1: yeah i and had the you garfield, get to draw fucking
0: i've had the Garfield window the stickers or the window you know well, i what I'm remember talking about, the, the plush with, with yeah the, the plush that would yeah.
1: the, the suction cup the i remember when cup that paws. was a big thing
0: i had one of those and i mean i i loved garfield like there i still i I still like it his halloween special find (laughs) it watch it it's available full length on youtube watch it it's fantastic it's way scarier than like the halloween specials are nowadays for kids yeah it's like you don't think it is you're just looking at me like yeah i
1: I don't have the love i didn't see it when i was a kid so i don't i can
0: i can sing all the songs (laughs) yes you can i know
1: well, I my topic today, you're going you're going to like this. You're going to like this a lot. I'm going to talk about the 1985 movie bomb.
0: I don't know that movie. Bomb?
1: No, it bombed. It was a oh. it was a bomb. It was a dud called Clue.
0: That is my favorite movie. Yes, of all time.
1: And the other day I was joking about <laughs> doing this and
0: yeah. You, you said were. I was you joking were. about
1: you doing Clue on the podcast. I didn't think you were actually going to do it. And what did you say when, when you when you Dude. <laughs> what did you say <laughs> when I said <laughs> I'm going to do uh, I'm going to do Clue on the podcast. Again, totally as a was, joke.
0: I was joking. So we're not going to do what I said.
1: <laughs> we're not. What did no. you say?
0: I thought you were kidding.
1: Yeah. Well, I was I'm not keeping time. up
0: my set end of the bargain. Just so we're <laughs> on the same page. So He was, he made it. He said that he was like, Oh, because he said something about Clue, and I was like, You should do that for the podcast. And he was like, Okay, like you know, like whatever. And I was like, If you do that on the podcast, we'll just spend the rest of the podcast just having sex on air.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited. So here I am doing Clue, we're not finding out that she was not serious, guys. apparently and
0: what's worse is that i said that and our our almost 17 year old son was with me in the kitchen <laughs> and he just like turned his back to me and started walking away like you know and he was like why are you why are you like this said to me.
1: <laughs> why are you like this <laughs> yeah i i hinted that i might do clue i was told i would get to have sex on the podcast if i did and unfortunately, I don't have any clue notes because I thought that's as far as I would have to go. And then we would just have <laughs> sex. So now I just have to pull it out of my ass, I guess.
0: Here's like Tim Curry's great like alternate endings. Bye. It's
1: based on the game.
0: Flames on the side of my face.
1: <laughs> based on the popular Atari video game. No. Wait. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So most of this information actually comes from a BuzzFeed article by, and I hate BuzzFeed. You know how I feel about BuzzFeed, but this is a really good article by a guy named Adam B. Very. Yeah, and so that's where the majority of this info comes from. Here, he's got a lot it was, of interviews with the with the the cast and director and everything. So, really, yeah.
0: I wonder. I wonder if that's the side of Buzzfeed that stayed open.
1: <laughs> so, didn't
0: have all the layoffs.
1: This, uh, well, I'm going to start off with just some basic uh, stats, I guess. So, Clue is a movie that's based on a very popular board game here in America, anyway, called clue which is a game where it's a whodunit game where you solve you, you try to figure out who killed mr body with what and in what room in case you don't already know that but it's if a board you, game is what it is
0: it's fucking it's a great board game
1: it is and it's it's more fun if you have more than two players it's a lot harder to figure out who, who yeah did it. Cause me and my sister would play it when i was younger
0: and it was pretty easy it
1: was a lot easier when there's only two people but then there's more people you have to write down a lot more information and as you learned, when you want to know, play.
0: you want to know when it's not fun.
1: When is it not fun?
0: When you play it,
1: when I play it? Yes. Why? Because I solved the mystery
0: because you take fucking notes every time anyone says anything.
1: Well, yeah, you have. That's that's how you detect. <laughs> I was you have to listen for what's not being said.
0: Shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs>
1: and then that's how you figure <laughs> it
0: Anyway, I don't want to talk about Clue the board game. Are we talking about Clue? Does it make clue? you
1: angry because I always win at Clue? You always win play. Clue. No
0: matter how many people, it could be eight of us and you still are <laughs> going to win and it's so annoying. You take note, like you'll be like, go fish or whatever the fuck,
1: whatever you say. <laughs> go and fish.
0: And like Sean's pickup. right, yeah. and Sean's like fifty-two, eh? And like and he's taking yeah. notes.
1: Well, yeah, it, you have to pay attention to what people are saying to figure out what cards they have.
0: And he's like, go fish, eh? <laughs> Every time.
1: All right. So, uh, it was released December thirteenth of nineteen eighty-five. I was four. It it grossed a whole fourteen point six million dollars on a budget of fifteen million dollars. That's that's not good. That's not very good. But we'll get into that later. Wow. All right. So
0: That's because I wasn't old enough to buy a ticket. <laughs> I didn't see the movie until I remember when the this Magic movie flew. came
1: out and I really wanted this because I I love the board game. Apparently I guess a lot were, of people did And you were
0: like ten, so it was or how old? You were like nine. I would've been
1: like eight probably. Oh no, I was, was nine December. by December. Yeah. So I was nine. I remember yeah. and like hearing about it from the neighbors and it sounded amazing.
0: Yeah, like you were old enough to want to go see it. Yeah. I wasn't even like old enough to Watch TV. Right. All right.
1: So in 1983, producer uh, Peter Goober. Guber. 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 I don't, I don't know. He, this is the same guy that produced. Qara. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Qara. Peter Kiara Peter Guber. <laughs> I always want to say Gruber, but it's, it's Guber. Guber.
0: Han, Hans Han Gruber
1: he produced 1989's Batman and some other movies. I only know him from seeing him in the credits of Batman.
0: I, I most likely, we most likely had the ha- same goober gruber conversation. Probably. Over 89's Batman.
1: I don't remember. I don't remember anything I've said on past podcasts. So. <laughs> right.
0: Every episode we like, we make the same <laughs> no jokes. Idea. And we're like, original material every yeah. week.
1: All right. So uh, this guy, Pete, he approached Jonathan Lynn. Yes. To adapt this board game into a script for john landis to direct who had just done american werewolf in london twilight zone um so he's a you know big deal at the time and he he produced a lot of stuff too i think he produced goonies and things like not goonie was it goonies i'm thinking of gremlins i don't remember anyway so jonathan Lynn, he he wasn't into it he said clue has no story and he was right (laughs) <laughs> it really doesn't have a story. It doesn't it's a have setting, a story. It has characters. It is. It's a setting. And it has weapons. Also, they wanted... Uh, uh, Deborah Hill ended up being the one to produce. She, she snagged the rights. Deborah Hill produced Halloween. She worked with John Carpenter a lot yeah, back then. Yeah, I didn't know who that is. So anyway, so Peter Guber asked Jonathan Lynn, who is from London, asked Lynn to fly to out to L.A. to at least meet with John Landis and Deborah Hill. And the only reason that... Uh, Lynn said he yes is because he had never flown first class before and he thought he would like to try that so that's the only reason he agreed to meet with to do this movie he had no interest initially
0: he was like yeah i'll take a free trip to la first class
1: yeah all right so john landis he was very excited about this proposition he had already worked out a plot with uh six strangers who are all black male victims they get invited to uh Mysterious dinner party at a big mansion, and they get, you know, these, this, the pseudonyms, the names that, like, you know, the Colonel Mustard, the color based names from the game. And then their host and and the blackmailer, Mr. Body, gets murdered, followed by the cook, several other visitors, guests, uh, all suspect one another, work with the butler to figure out who the killer is. And he acted all this out for Lynn. And Lynn said, he was careening around the office, jumping up and down on the furniture, standing on the table, shouting, screaming. It was a tremendous pitch. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And then when uh, this interviewer, uh, Adam Very, when he asked John Landis about this meeting, he said, you know, Jonathan is so British, Jonathan Lynn, he probably thought, Holy shit, this guy's very enthusiastic. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> um, so Landis also realized that he didn't have a solution. He said, like who who actually
0: did Who it. did it?
1: Yeah, he didn't have that part. Because so it's
0: always random, every freaking game.
1: Right. He said, I went to the point when the butler said, I'm going to explain what happened, like in the classic Charlie Chan, Agatha Christie kind of way, and I couldn't figure it out. I set up a crime I couldn't solve. So I thought, well, I gotta get a real writer. So now he's looking for somebody to write this movie and solve this mystery that he's, he's built up. He, uh, he turned to a playwright named Tom Stoppard. Um, Stoppard worked on a script for like a year and then he hit a wall and john landis said i'll never forget it i got a letter from him literally literally a year later on this beautiful onion skin paper very elegant stationery, basically saying i give up and he enclosed a check for the entire amount he was paid <laughs> yeah yeah he can all right
0: holy shit
1: so so it ends up in jonathan lynn's lap uh he says There were still a lot of unrelated actions that would have been interesting had there been an explanation a lot of characters who weren't characters. They were just colors. And so I went back to my hotel room and phoned my agent and said, this is a total waste of time. Why don't I come home now? And his agent said, well, now you're there. Why don't you just try and think of something? So I stayed up half the night, sort of had a few tentative ideas, and I went in to see John in the next morning and and mentioned them. He got very excited about it. And by the time we had the second conversation, he said, would I like to write it? So over the next six months, Jonathan Lynn worked on the script back in England. I was trying to figure out how to craft a coherent story out of this this board game setting, which is funny because I'm sure at the time it, it was it was the way people feel about video game movies. Like, you know, some people, why would you make a movie based on a video game? Just a game. So it's the same thing. But why would you make a movie? You know, you're not going to make an Uno based game, right? yeah that is
0: hard not, that would be, be like you want know make a good game
1: trouble, or a good movie trouble <laughs> that'd be, that'd be, there's no there's no. no
0: people in trouble no but like hungry you hungry hippos
1: did the colored pegs hungry hungry hippos didn't they did they make them i feel like they made that it movie <laughs> it's possible
0: <laughs> oh my god if they made that movie we have to do it on the podcast how, how i get it do it because i said we'd do it
1: <laughs> no i don't get it because i'm not doing it on the podcast it's not happening all right. So Lynn said he enjoyed the intellectual challenge of the mandate for the script, but he found himself at a loss for how to properly explain what he's attempting to write to his friends. Right. He said, they just looked at me as if I was mad. They just didn't quite know, didn't quite know how to respond. And frankly, nor did I. So then there was John Landis's final mandate that scared away all the other writers, which was to create four separate endings, each with a different killer or killers, and each of which had to make sense with the rest of the movie.
0: Yes, that's hard,
1: right? So Lynn says Landon thought it would be Landis thought it would be a really great box office. Um, and he and he, uh, he didn't end up doing a fourth ending.
0: Yeah, I know. There's only three.
1: Yeah. So he said he he thought that what would happen was that people having enjoyed the film so much would then go back and pay again and see the other endings. In reality, what happened? So the audience decided they didn't know which ending to go to. So they didn't go at all.
0: Oh, (laughs) yeah,
1: (laughs) kind of I kind of get that. But I would I don't know. I'd be curious to at least see one of them. See,
0: I think I think what's good box office is how they did it. How they do it on the release, the home video release. Yeah, like this is how it could have happened,
1: right? That, that is, or what they it should could have, have happened. but yes. this is
0: how it actually happened.
1: Hindsight's 2020, though. They should have done that. That's, However, as a kid, and I knew about the multiple endings, yeah, I thought that was crazy.
0: Well, I think what would have been cool is if it was a like, like, like roulette ending, yeah, like you don't know what ending you're gonna get, yeah. Do you know how pissed you'd be, though, if you paid twice and you fucking got the same ending twice?
1: Well, apparently, and I'll get to this later, they had, like, when they had, you know, back then, your movie was in the newspaper. It's how you looked up the times and everything, and they would have a number assigned to which theater had which ending. Like a one, two, or three, or something, like, or A, B, or C, or something like that. So you would know, oh, okay, if I want to see, I saw ending ending. A, and then if you want to go see ending B, you could go see it at this theater kind of thing. So they had a system. Yeah. But people probably didn't know about that. You you couldn't really convey all that in a commercial. Yeah. You know. All right. So.
0: And the movie's really smart. So. It's not saying that 1985 audiences aren't, but they aren't. Well,
1: Well, here's the thing, though. Probably a lot of smart. The moviegoers were probably also the same people who are like, I'm not going to see a movie based on a fucking board game, on a children's yeah. board game. You know what I mean?
0: Children's board game, and I don't even know what the ending I'm going to get? All yeah. right, no, no. All
1: right, so Jonathan Lynn finished his screenplay partway through 1984, and he decided to set the movie in New England in 1954. He, he drew heavily from his friendship with screenwriters who had been blacklisted during the McCarthy era. So... He made all the color based names uh, pseudonyms for Washington, D.C. types who were getting blackmailed at the height of McCarthy's power. Mm-hmm. So
0: I do find it interesting, though, that he it was 1954. I thought this when we watched Clue yesterday. And I, <laughs> I watched Clue a lot, you guys. <laughs> like, I watched Clue a lot. And I thought this when we watched it yesterday, though, and it was the 50s. Which was still when racism was, like, vam- like, bad. Yeah. And it had a African-American, like, sergeant.
1: Yeah.
0: Is that a thing? <laughs> In, In the, the 50s? 50s?
1: I don't know. I also don't In know. In New
0: England? I mean, oh, I guess it's, like, one of the progressive areas for,
1: yeah.
0: you know, for civil rights. So I guess maybe.
1: So anyway, he he submitted his script and Landis, Deborah Hill, uh, Goober and John Peters. John Peters also was one of the producers on Batman.
0: I can't imagine having a last name Goober.
1: (laughs) They all love the script.
0: Yeah, it's a great script.
1: However, while he was writing the script, John Landis had agreed to direct a movie called Spies Like Us. Oh, that's a real
0: movie.
1: uh, John Landis then just decided he just asked Lynn. He's like, if if he wanted to direct And And he's like, like, I'll be an executive producer. You direct it. John Landis said he worked so hard and he was passionate about it. He had this amazing theater background. And I thought, gee, you know, why don't you do it? Because it will be more than a year before I'm even available. And Jonathan Lynn said, of course, anyone who's been a theater director would like to be a film director. I didn't have an ambition to direct something like Clue. But when somebody offers you a movie to direct, by and large, you say yes. It's the first time you've had such an offer. It may be the last time. And that's very true. You don't turn down directing a, a Hollywood movie. You know, that's who, what that's you know. what you
0: said about what's his face? Cameron.
1: James Cameron. Yeah, well with Piranha, right. Exactly. Right. You have to take those out. You can't just wait until that perfect movie comes along. Get
0: in where you fit in or yeah. whatever you said.
1: Sure. All right, so now he has to put a cast together. So, uh he he tried to cast uh Rowan Atkinson.
0: I don't know who that is.
1: Mr. Bean. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> he tried one to cast him for The Butler. No. <laughs> no. Okay, but at the time, nobody really knew who he was. Oh, in, he in wasn't US. Mr. Bean yet. He wasn't Mr. Bean yet, oh, but he okay. was known for a BBC comedy series called Black Adder. And he, Mr. Bean didn't debut until 1990. And uh, Jonathan Lynn said they never heard of him and absolutely were not interested. He sent a tape of him doing lots of sketches of funny things, but I don't know if they watched it. So finally, he looked to Tim Curry. So Tim Curry was already a bit of a cult hero from Rocky Horror Picture Show, obviously. Yes. And he had the theatricality, I don't know, I can't say that. (laughs) Kiora. Required for the role. And he had a high enough profile to satisfy the studio. So also, Jonathan Lynn had known Tim Tim Curry forever. They went to boarding school together. So, yeah. Really? And Tim Curry said... He was my hero. He was the big actor. I was so happy for him that he had been given a film to direct and write, and I wanted to be a part of it. So that's pretty cool. Aw,
0: and it's such a great movie. I don't give a shit. (laughs) I don't give a
1: shit. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so most of the rest of the cast were his first choices. Eileen Brennan as Mrs. Peacock, Christopher Lloyd for Professor Plum.
0: So good. Now, Lloyd
1: hadn't really had his breakout role in Back to the Future yet, so... Uh, as that movie hadn't hit theaters, but he knew him for his role on the TV show Taxi as yeah. uh, Reverend Jim, Jim Ignatowski. Um, Lynn said, he made me laugh when he came to read. That's the way I select people. So
0: That was that movie's so good.
1: The cast themselves, they were attracted to the screen screenplay. Michael McKean said, the jokes were making me laugh out loud.
0: Right. That's so um, good.
1: Yeah. And so he's, he's like, I thought, yeah, they made this into a real story, a silly ass story. Uh, he, and this uh, Adam B. Very talked to McKean and, and uh, they were having dinner in Los Angeles. And he, dinner he asked, in Los
0: Angeles, with Michael McKean.
1: And he asked he asked McKean if he found the idea of basing a movie on a board game to be crass or silly. And he says, McKean waves mm-hmm. me off. And McKean says, there, there's a very good movie called The Setup. Robert Wise Boxing Picture, which is based on a poem that's largely one page long about a boxing match. You can make a good movie or a shitty one based on anything. And I firmly agree with that. Yes. I firmly agree with that. I don't know how
0: to make an Uno one, though.
1: <laughs> good Uno movie. I'm still thinking about it. You know, so I was just thinking about that. I was like, I just picture like an intense Uno game. And then you start learning about the people who are playing this intense Uno game and why this Uno game is so intense. And then right. you find out it's like some Saw based situation where they're like, somebody's going to die if it's <laughs> when like, they go it's, out. It's like or an something. always sunny <laughs>
0: type of, of like angle. Like it's like always it's like a Chardy McDennis situation. Yeah.
1: All right. So the the only time that uh, oh, wait, hang on, I'm skipping ahead of myself. So uh, in his first draft of the script, that the role of Mrs. White had somehow come out underwritten. But then when Madeline Madeline Kahn Kahn. (laughs) became interested and she, of course, played Lily von Stupp in Mel Brooks Blazing Saddles.
0: And she's fantastic theater actress. She's great.
1: When she expressed interest, Lynn enthusiastically wrote more material for this character. Yeah. Lynn said the only time he had a compromise on casting was for the role of Mr. Body, who went to Lee Ving, which right. upon my umpteenth view- viewing, I was like, wait a minute, that's Lee Ving. That's the <laughs> yeah. guy from Fear.
0: Ah, love, Love another study.
1: Everybody knows that song, right? That's yeah, Fear. You,
0: you made the You made the point of telling me as soon as you
1: realized it was. Yeah, hard. I had no, I was like, Lee Ving? I never knew what he looked like. Uh. And Lynn says the studio wanted him. He had some big hit record or something. I imagined somebody rather different. But I said no to everyone in the studio's requests. And so finally I thought, well, I'd better say yes to something. So that's how Lee Vang ended up in in Clue.
0: It doesn't matter. Mr. Body dies so fast. It's so fine.
1: Here's a little bit of, uh, and he did fine as as Mr. Body. It's you know? funny.
0: It, well, I, I've always thought Mr. Body can't fucking act. Why is he in this? <laughs> I, I've, al- I've always thought that.
1: Well, uh, there you go. All right, so he had, he had his cast together and he landed a really big star to play Miss Scarlet. Her name was Carrie Fisher. So, <laughs> we're all, this is radio, so you can't just make a stunned face. You have to react verbally.
0: Tell me everything. <laughs>
1: okay. What
0: happened and how did we end up with that chick from like in the heat of the night or whatever the fuck that Leslie and is. Leslie Yeah, Leslie, Leslie whatever.
1: All right, so I'm just going to read this straight from the the article here. So a week before rehearsals were supposed to start... Lynn got a call. Fisher was in rehab.
0: God damn her her <laughs> goddamn drugs. and They killed her on a goddamn, you know goddamn plan. God her mother. damn her
1: mother. Her mom fucked her up. Moms can fuck people up.
0: Amen.
1: So, yeah. Anyway, I was very naive, he says. I didn't know what she was talking about. When I met her at a restaurant, she'd actually fallen over a chair, but I just thought she was short-sighted or something. She sniffed a lot, and she uh. said she had had hay fever, which, of course, I believed. But even Lynn knew enough to be skeptical when Fisher said she still wanted to do the movie. She said, oh, yes, they'll let me out during the day and I'll just come back at night, says Lynn. And I thought, really? So I asked Deborah Hill and Deborah said, yes, that sounds good. I think <laughs> Deborah was also on cocaine, but I didn't know that. <laughs> then, it was, <laughs> then it was put... <laughs>
0: Everybody's just running around on
1: cocaine. <laughs> it's the 80s, man. It's the 80s. <laughs> so then it was put to Dawn Steele... And I'm assuming she was a producer. I don't. I didn't see her name anywhere. Anyway, and she didn't seem to have a problem with it. I didn't know that everyone in Hollywood was snorting cocaine. (laughs) I was really naive. They weren't doing that in Hampstead where I lived. When the insurance company got involved and said, "Absolutely not." What are you thinking? Which surprised everybody but me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) So we we didn't get Carrie Fisher, and as we they ended up casting uh, Leslie Ann Warren. So before they could get into production. Lynn brought everyone on to the Paramount lot to screen a classic screwball comedy called His Girl Friday, which I'm not familiar with. I've heard the name, never seen it. And Leslie Ann Warren said he wanted us all to have that cadence, that very clipped quick delivery on our lines, which they do. They do. Yes.
0: The delivery is so perfect, perfect and quick and smart. And you miss it if you're not paying attention.
1: All right. Lynn couldn't know is that from the time that he cast this that he got his cast together that they would have a really good chemistry and camaraderie
0: they had fucking amazing chemistry because it's the best movie ever
1: (laughs) anyway so Leslie Ann Warren says I felt so deeply sorry for Jonathan because we were in hysterics the whole time it was like trying to hurt a bunch of puppies Martin Mull adds, sometimes you're in a movie with someone, you say, oh, good, I'm going to be with so-and-so in this film. Then you find out that of the 32 scenes you have, four of them are with that person and nothing else. In this case, we were always all together, and it right. just made it so much more fun.
0: They're, like, literally together. Almost 100%. the whole time, man. Yeah. yeah.
1: There's a, they break up a little bit here and there, but, but yeah.
0: rarely. Right. Like, rarely.
1: So, Lynn allowed for, you know, a loose vibe on the set, but he did exercise... Uh, a lot of control when it came to his script. Martin Mull said Jonathan is a by-the-book guy, and if it was written, that was the way we did it. For Madeline, of course, that's like telling uh, Cicero not to speak. You know what I mean? So, so this guy, the, the writer here, Adam Bevery, he, he spoke to uh, some actors, and you know, a lot of a lot of modern-day comedies are, are improvised a lot. There's a lot of improvisation. Yeah. However, there was really only one time that. That Lane allowed anybody to break from the screenplay, and that was for Madeline Kahn's Flames on the Side of My Face speech.
0: Yes. I've read so, that.
1: So yeah, that was that was largely improvised. It lasts about 20 seconds. And as Clue fans know, that was that's like the moment. Everybody that is remembers the that clue speech. Here's something I didn't realize.
0: On the side of my brain. What?
1: That's only in one of the endings. You don't see that in every version of the movie. So if you if you it, when it was released theatrically, oh. only a third of the audience got even, to see that speech. Even
0: knew it, yeah, because oh, it's in the it's in the well, yeah, of course it's in the home
1: video. It's it's one of the endings though. That's awesome. It's not in every ending. It's only in one of them, and so that that could have contributed. You know what I mean? Because that's that's a big funny moment, and I it literally never occurred to me that. If you went and saw this at the theater, you might not have got to hear the flames on the side of my face speech.
0: Which is fucking monumental.
1: Yeah. That is
0: such an important speech for the movie. You know? Yeah. It's fantastic.
1: All right. So Michael McKean says, you know, all that was written was, I hated her so much that I wanted to kill her or something like that. But she just kind of went into a fugue about hatred. She did it three or four times, and each time was funnier than the last. I thought that they would have strung a bunch of them together because they had plenty of cutaways of all of us going, what the fuck is she talking about? Yeah. So, And Tim Curry added, I think Jonathan was very uncertain about it. It was very funny, very, very funny, and hard not to laugh. Flames. That's a quote. That's why I said that.
0: Flames on the side of my face.
1: So Should Tim be- Curry, who had a shit ton of lines, and yeah. had, he, he really did, and he had to deliver them at that, that cadence and that yes. real fast clip and everything.
0: All right. I am shouting. I'm shouting. I'm shouting like it's such a such a good movie.
1: <laughs> so M- Michael McKean says Tim is a very disciplined guy. Every time when Marty and I would be goofing around, we thought quietly between takes. Tim and I assume he means Martin Mull. Yeah, uh, Tim, That's would give, I assume as well. Yeah, Tim g- would give us a look like I'm trying to remember the fucking phone book here and he can give a good look. So, Tim's, yeah,
0: I can only imagine <laughs> even today's Tim Curry giving me a look. I'd be like, OK, OK.
1: <laughs> so Tim Curry uh, doesn't quite recall it that way. And he says, it sounds a bit pompous to me. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "I, but I did have an awful lot to remember. So uh, Martin Mull says there were an awful lot of instances where it was impossible to keep a, a straight face. In fact, we were laughing so much. One thing that has stayed indelible in my mind is that before every take of every scene, Michael McKean would say to everyone in the cast, something terrible has happened here to try to bring us back to the reality of where we were. It got to be quite a funny little catchphrase. But that's, I mean, that's right. the reality of the movie they were making is they're in something where something terrible has happened, but they're just having a good old time yeah, because they're of the dialogue. A they're enjoying each other's company. I'm sure they're fucking making each other laugh the whole time.
0: Like they're having a good time. Yes. And like... Uh, Elaine Brennan, is that her name? Eileen. A- Eileen Brennan. Brennan. Whatever. Peacock. She was always horrified. Yeah. Like, I had to stop her screaming. <laughs> like, yeah. It's so. Oh, so, when the author here amazing. asks Jonathan
1: Lynn if he remembers anything about the fourth ending, Jonathan Lynn says, no, not a thing. No idea. So. He went on to tell him about some online speculation and Jonathan Lane cut him off and said, I have no idea what's reported online and I have no idea what the fourth ending was. It's really gone <laughs> from my memory and I don't have a copy of the original script. So no words Shut the fuck up. Nobody right. knows he's about like, the fourth ending. Like I
0: can't fucking confirm anything. It doesn't exist anymore. Stop so, asking me.
1: So the author here says that it's it's clear that the subject of the multiple endings still touches a nerve with Jonathan Lynn. Yeah. Jonathan Lynn says it was a big mistake to release it with separate endings because you only get the pleasure out of all the different endings if you see them all. Yes. And Roger Ebert in his review said, why doesn't the studio abandon the ridiculous multiple ending scheme and show all three endings at every theater? Yep. So and Ebert had seen all three endings and he didn't even know which one to recommend was best. No. And he couldn't even say because I guess Paramount had actually, remember I was telling you earlier about the A, B, or C? Yeah. Paramount had bungled informing the film critics which endings corresponded to which letters. So he couldn't even say, go see
0: C, ending or A, or, you
1: know, or you got to hear this speech Madeleine Kahn gives in ending C or whatever, you know? So uh, Lynn lays the blame for the film's failure to connect with audiences at the feet of the botched marketing gimmick. Uh, McKean says, people don't want to buy a pig in a pub, which I kind of understand what that means. <laughs> I guess. I don't. Uh, he says, like, well, you don't go into a pub to buy a pig, you go into a pub to buy a beer, is what he's saying. They, they want to know what they're getting, so to speak.
0: I would happily buy a
1: <laughs> you'd buy a pig. pig anywhere you're the exception right that does I'm not like, apply to you I'm, like, I'm sure this is I some... love this
0: movie I would buy a pig at any location <laughs> I would buy a pig in a goddamn clothing boutique I would buy a pig anywhere that someone is selling one
1: <laughs> alright anyway he goes on to say they want to know that they're going to get the good ending there's something overly complex about it do I have to see it three times and what if I get the same ending again so uh, I
0: don't mind telling you that I would have gladly seen it 72 times to get all that endings. well here's the, here's the thing but, too about
1: that air i feel like back then people didn't go see a movie multiple times like they do nowadays
0: right that's you the know? first thing the second such thing an extravagance. is extravagance the even though it costs 34 cents <laughs> the other part is the right way to do it is definitely the way they've done it on home video which yes. is great because they've solved it they solved it late yeah but they solved it
1: they probably plan to do that from the get-go though because you can't release three different versions on right VHS. They saw it mean, the, nowadays.
0: And well, VHS. do you have in there how it's now a cult, a cult favorite? And Is it? Do
1: people even like this movie? Are you serious? I'm, uh, I'm
0: going to knock your iPad out of your face. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's such uh, an amazing movie. And people, like, I was too young. I mean, these are mo- people who find it, find it on their own or at the recommendation of other people who you know what i mean like it's not like i don't
1: think anybody else really likes this movie i think it's just you no
0: amanda loves this movie
1: who that i think people just say that to make you no i'm messing with you a lot of people love this movie i'll get to that (laughs) you're so upset i am this (laughs) is such a
0: good movie (laughs) i'm gonna be like nobody (laughs) even likes the matrix what is the matrix good
1: they they can go watch Fast and the Furious and fuck off. <laughs> I don't want they're gonna ruin it. There's gonna be a Matrix remake, and it's just gonna be the faster. it's gonna be The Rock. He's gonna play nine characters. I think it's gonna bring in Samuel Jackson, he's gonna play three different people named Shaft. It's gonna be fucking terrible.
0: Shaft, just the tip. <laughs> All
1: right, so the, the actors were very happy with the movie. Martin Mull says, I knew how much fun I had doing it, and I was surprised that 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 didn't translate to the audience having so much fun. Michael McKean says there wasn't a thing about the movie's lack of success that you could lay at Jonathan's door. I think he made exactly the right movie. I just don't think they knew what to do with it. Yeah. So afterwards. I think it was
0: marketed poorly.
1: This this part makes me sad. So he, he uh, Jonathan Lynn says, I was unemployable afterwards in Los Angeles. So he li- he had lined up his next gig to direct a Steve Martin movie called Roxanne, that modern day retelling of Cyrano de Bergerac.
0: Yeah, I know what Roxanne is.
1: But then Clue got a very bad reception, and ten days later, I was off the picture. So, like,
0: that sucks.
1: Yeah, that's. Ugh. All right. So,
0: did he do anything after? Like, does he do anything now?
1: I don't know. We'll I'll to, look we'll it have up to keep. Re- I'm Meg. Let oh. me let me finish. <laughs> let me finish my thing. You're so excited to find out where this is going that you're gonna look it up while I'm telling you about it. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just look up how to pronounce Quara. Q-ara. q I think it's just Cora. I just say Cora because Cora is like a person's name. That's why I always thought it was supposed to With be a like. With a Q? No, I mean C-O-R-A, but I thought that's what they're going for. And I was thinking like quartet, you don't pronounce it. So, but Quora makes sense because well, of a of query. Like, oh. You know, I just went, Anyway. All right, so put your phone down, young lady. I know what you're doing. Let this me is what finish. I, mean when God I say damn it! You're allowed to. Yeah, but you're looking f- up the ending to what I'm talking about. I'm telling I you about it right like now. I don't like not knowing. The I endings. know you know. Give me two minutes, and you'll know. All right. So two years after Clue had opened, Lynn did not. Uh, he did not risk venturing back to Los Angeles while he was working on this other TV series in England. When he happened to walk into a local video store. He instantly regretted the trip. He says, I saw Clue on a shelf with nine really terrible movies and a sign saying, do you dare to rent any of these? He says, still wincing from the memory. Right. Like, what?
0: Are you kidding? No. I love fucking.
1: Do you like Clue? (laughs) Have you heard of this Clue movie? We're going to watch it after this. I think you I think you dig it. Can we? (laughs) No. Oh, come on. Some. i of, I do actually things? have a lot of, uh, have a lot I of have stuff to do. I have to edit do. this and
0: then I have to start a website migration. Yeah. Like, I got stuff to do. Stop trying to distract me with movies I love.
1: <laughs> All right. He said, if I hadn't come up with Nuns on the Run and made it as a British film four years later, I would never... I'm
0: sorry. He made a movie called Nuns on the Run?
1: And I vaguely remember these commercials. It's like two guys dressed as nuns and... I swear one of them might have been like Robert De Niro, but I think they were unknown actors to me at the time. But I do remember <laughs> that coming out or maybe it was a remake that, that they did. But anyway, so he said if he hadn't made nuns on the run, he would have never. It was like they were like criminals or something and hiding out his nuns. And uh, he said, I would have never made another movie. I don't think certainly nobody here was going to offer me one. However, he did go on to get another job in Hollywood, making a little movie called My Cousin Vinny. Which,
0: Holy shit, bro! <laughs> I saw that the first time I ever saw that. I was on a plane, and flying to Hawaii. That really long flight to fucking Hawaii.
1: I've never seen it on like HBO or something, and just it was hilarious.
0: Yeah, it was. Like, an and I had movie. no idea that
1: was him until I read this article. But yeah, that's and Mercy Tomei won up. A, a, an yeah, Oscar. It's a
0: great movie. And it's
1: a really funny, smart, yeah, well written movie.
0: Good for him.
1: So. It was also around this time that Clue started to hit uh, cable programmers to fill in non-peak time slots with inexpensive movies.
0: Maybe that's how I saw it for the first
1: time. Most likely. This is probably so. Anyway, Martin Mull says, there are no dirty words. There's no toplessness. It's good television programming. It right? is. You don't really have to edit anything to edit out it. of the movie.
0: Because even the, the, like the slaying, slayings, the murders, I guess, the, the killings, they aren't Bloody,
1: so a whole generation of teenagers and preteens, me, who weren't me, they were too young to remember this movie even existing. Me, home for the summer,
0: me, would
1: see this movie the the way that it was meant to, with all three endings. I
0: think they're talking about me.
1: <laughs> I might be talking about you.
0: They're talking about my generation and the generation after me.
1: So uh, John Landis says. Box office success is wonderful, and that's what everyone wants. But as we all know, lots of shitty movies, Fast and Furious, Aquaman, are huge hits. And lots of great movies fail. Matrix, Revolutions, things of that nature. So yeah, uh, dies. P- Peter Bogdanovich famously said, The only true test of a movie is time. That's the best thing about movies. They still exist. I think that's a really cool quote. So, and Tim Curry says, it's got a life of its own now, this movie. It's a bit of deja vu for me, really, after Rocky Horror. There are really rabid fans. Uh, Jonathan Lynn says, I go to teach at film school, and, and there's always something, someone in the class who says, it's my favorite movie. Yeah. And I think, well, haven't you seen The Godfather or Lawrence of Arabia? But equally, <laughs> I'm very flattered, of course. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd says, I run into somebody, and, and of all the movies I've done, they may say something about Back to the Future or whatever, but then they make a reference to Clue very favorably. So uh, Colleen Camp said, recently, somebody did a painting of me from Clue the size of a wall. It's bizarre and great and hysterical. Elizabeth Warren, or no, Elizabeth Warren. (laughs) 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 It just said Warren, so (laughs) that's the first name popped in my head. (laughs) Sorry. Elizabeth Warren was like, 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 I'm part Native American. Uh, She's like, that was a really bad idea. Anyway, moving Uh, on. Hang on. Uh, Leslie M. Warren says... Did you call him or did he call you? He called me. I just, I'm just i literally almost done. Uh, Leslie M. Warren says, All of a sudden, people in their 20s, wherever I would go, all they wanted to talk about was Clue. They want to do the lines for me. Young waiters, they just want to share their admiration and, and adoration. And for Lynn, Clint, Clue is simply a part of his past. And he says, If you do anything and people are still enjoying it 30 years later, it's rather miraculous. You can't expect that. I've been lucky. And that's it. That's my... That's my clue presentation. That's (laughs) he's going to bask in it.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) We're going to go have sex after this. Right. It's immediately. That's what happens now.
0: No, judging by the fact that you just got a phone call from our son, it sounds like he needs a ride.
1: It would have been funnier if you just said yes. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) FYI, (laughs) if you just said Yes.
0: no, because you'll hold me to it.
1: <laughs> that's true. I'd have a recorded proof. Right. You'd feel like, yes.
0: you'd feel like, hold on a second. And you'd pull out the recording and then you just play by yes repeatedly.
1: All right. Well, that's that's all I got. All right. Thanks for listening. Go watch Clue. Go Don't watch read Clue. Garfield.
0: You could read Garfield. There's nothing wrong with that. But you should definitely go read Heathcliff instead. Um, all right. Thanks for listening. We love you guys. Bye. Have a good week. Bye.